And in this episode... Some people certainly do well on a ketogenic diet for extended periods of time, but these people are usually people who have very plastic and resilient um, endocrine axes. But most people, they are gonna be running into issues down the line. Hey, you are now listening to the High Energy Nutrition Podcast. We are the number one resource to reclaim your metabolic health. 88% of Americans are not metabolically healthy and we need to change that. For more information, visit highenergynutrition.com. And now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the second chapter in our series on hormones and endocrine health. With me today again is Moritz, found under the name Things Various on Medium. He's a med student who, after being diagnosed with an endocrine system problem, started his own experiment regarding hormonal replacement therapy, had great results, and since then is a passionate advocate for hormonal health. In our first episode, we already established that hormonal health and your hormonal status affects your energy levels, your overall health, your mood, your motivation, looks, concentration, memory, cognition, recovery, libido, and much, much more. In this episode, we're going to focus on the lessons learned from replacing most of your hormones. So with that regard, um, Moritz, thank you so much that you had time for a second talk. Thank you. Your hormones are bad. Living your life to the fullest, you can basically forget it. Is that true? And why is that true? Um, well, um, I'd like to start off with a personal example. Um, so um, this summer, I did um, a fasting mimicking diet, which is basically where you just do for five days, you're just eating very low calorie, and um, it's supposed to have many health benefits. doesn't matter. But still, um, on day four, um, it just happened that for some reason, I just felt um, like crap. Like I had no energy. I was very cold. Um, I couldn't concentrate. Um, my work efficiency was much, much lower than uh, compared to what it used to be. And this basically uh, reminded me of how it was for me a few years ago. Because for a few years ago, I had multiple um, hormonal issues. Um, in fact, I am partially pituitary deficient, which means my pituitary gland does not send out appropriate signals to my peripheral glands, resulting in me being low in um, <clears throat> most of the uh, normal hormones. So um, basically, um, what I um, this state um, I was in during my fast, it really reminded me how it, how I used to feel all the time, and um, how can you get anywhere in life if you're all, always feeling like crap? lethargic, you can uh, can concentrate. Um, I mean, uh, most of us usually have these states for a few days, for example, when we get sick, or when we for some reason sleep very badly for a few days. But there are people out there that are feeling like this every single day. And um, if this state, um, or a state similar like this one had been present from very early on in their life, then they didn't even like they didn't do very well in school they didn't make as many friends they didn't didn't have the energy to do sports so their uh, whole life is basically um, nudged into a certain direction from very very early on with many many complex feedback loops 
And um, the same also goes if um, your hormones um, get deficient or get very bad um, once you're older, as it happened with me. I had probably great or normal hormones until like the age of 20. But after that, quite suddenly, my hormones dropped and I could really see um, all the ripples that had on my life situation. And I can tell you life is very hard and it's not even enjoyable. And I would really say that living a normal, decent life is not possible if your hormones are low. And um, probably most of the um, people we admire, like actors in movies or um, other high achievers, uh, these are usually um, people with very, very high energy. They have like high energy, they're feeling quite good all the time, they're confident, and not always, but usually, I bet their hormonal profile is quite good. And uh, this was basically their luck. They don't even think about that. Um, they basically um, credit their success in life to, um, let's say, their perseverance, their grit, their um, productivity, their working hard, their talent, their intelligence, whatever. But what were the factors that um, enabled them to work hard, to be, um, to persevere, to have grit, to um, um, develop a talent or a skill in the first place. And usually those are biological factors. And I'd really say that, um, as I um, hinted at in my article, health might not be everything, but without it, everything is certainly nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my long answer to that question. Yeah, I mean, certainly. And you also talked about that tiny amounts of improvement basically compound over time mm -hmm. so meaning even though your hormones might be in the adequate range a tiny mm -hmm. bit of more energy more drive can make a big difference yeah um i mean uh let's let's um let's do a thought experiment let's say we clone you two times one time we have you and one time we have cloned you and then we give cloned you for example supplemental testosterone or thyroid or whatever growth hormone and um he whether he's aware or not he will have slightly greater energy perhaps needless sleep will be slightly more confident in social interaction um the afternoon low is less compared to what it used to be and um all those tiny um tiny improvements, they compound every single day. You get value out of, out of it, whether you notice it or not, and you automatically reinvest the value. And as Einstein famously said, um, compound interest is um, the most powerful force in the universe. I mean, let's say you improve a, a skill of your choice at any skill, 1% per day, which means after one year, you improve 3,800%. Of course, in reality, um, asymptotes are approached, but um, just to um, illustrate how powerful compound interest really is, and um, even very small consistent effects on energy, mood, health, they will be very, very powerful down the line. Mm -hmm. And can you talk about what exactly makes those hormones so powerful? How are they regulating our energy levels? Well, um, That is very hard to answer um, in a short answer, but um, hormones, they are 
they talk directly to cells. Basically, when we evolved from biofilms and tiny multicellular organisms, those cells, they had to communicate between each other. And they used signaling mediators, whether it be lipids or small amines or peptide peptides. And these mediators, they, um, we call now hormones. So um, when hormones are cruising around your bloodstream, every cell in your body has a receptor for them. And every cell um, directly responds, uh, meaning the hormones, they unlock um, a specific part of your genetic code. And the cell starts to express turn up or turn down genes. Normally it does not. And um, this is why hormones are uniquely powerful. And specifically to uh, why, how or why they affect energy and mood, um, hormones, they interact with every of your bodily systems. So they do as well with your nervous system. And there are various nuclei in your brainstem that basically determine your baseline energy levels, how how ready your nervous system is, how fast the neurons fire, how, how fast they can respond to input. And they, um, the baseline activity of these nuclei in your brainstem is basically regulated mostly by hormones. And every single hormone of growth hormone, um, thyroid hormone, cortisol, and sex hormones, they, um, they basically fire up those nuclei. So every hormone can in theory, or not even in theory, is in practice app can be app used as a stimulant. So if you increase any one of the four hormones, you are gonna have higher energy. And I'd say that the average energy levels um, a person has, um, they are um, mostly regulated by their endocrine profile. So um, differences in personality and temperament, how um, alert, how energetic people are, they are mediated by hormonal factors mostly. And mm -hmm. I mean, your energy um, has quite a lot to do with who you are as a person. Right, definitely. I mean, you can see people, they just come into the room and they're shining. And I've always um, said those people are metabolically healthy. Mm -hmm. So there's no, there's no metabolic disease. There's no chronic sickness holding them back. There's no, yeah, exactly. no thyroid levels. Exactly. So mm -hmm. hormonal health is the key in that regard, of course. Um, can you, or the question personally I have, um, what about mitochondrial health and mm -hmm. hormones? Is there a correlation there? Um, I'm actually not that much into the literature. Um, but it is partially independent of hormones. So while hormones, especially thyroid hormone, they regulate many mitochondrial proteins, um, as do testosterone levels, for example. Like, I mean, um, people with higher testosterone, they have higher type two muscle fibers with more mitochondria, but it is partially mm -hmm. independent. And it really depends on, as you said, metabolic health, with it, which is partially hormonal. I mean, metabolism is mostly regulated by hormones. For example, insulin, the master control hormone of metabolism, but also all the other hormones. But it's also, uh, it also partially has to do with um, independent or individual cellular health. So it, it could be like inflammatory factors or um, the availability of certain macronutrients, whether it's more like um, fatty acids, which fatty acids, how long the fatty acids are, or whether it's more carbohydrates. So it's, it's a very complex question, but um, yeah, it's, it's partially hormonal and partially not. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, what I wonder is when we um, were our ancestors, mm -hmm. did they have hormonal deficiencies to the extent that we have it now? 
And if not, and I suppose that's, that mm -hmm. wasn't true, um, why are hormonal deficiencies so common nowadays? Um, well, um, I don't think that, I mean, there are definitely some lifestyle factors nowadays that um, predisposes to some hormonal deficiencies being more common. Um, these lifestyle factors are especially chronic stress and lack of sleep and obesity. But I wouldn't say that our ancestors didn't have hormonal deficiencies. They probably did have, um, especially as deficiencies in thyroid or, or uh, like there's um, a master control hormone of your adipose tissue. It's called leptin. And it basically indicates um, how much adipose tissue you are carrying around. And basically as an indicator of your um, nutrient state or how well nourished you are. And if this leptin level drops, which occurs if you diet, for example, mm -hmm. or did usually occur in our ancestors every few months, then your cortisol, like your stress axis, is going to be through the roof. But um, your sex hormones and thyroid hormones, they're going to be very low. And if you will, I mean, it is a physiological adaptation. So um, it does make sense that this occurs. But if you would test um, these ancestors during states of famine or where they were food deprived, they certainly did have hormonal deficiencies. Like their testosterone, estrogen was super low. Um, as well was the uh, free T3, the active thyroid hormone, reverse T3 was very high and cortisol was probably through the roof. So that be like a hormonal deficiency by the book nowadays. Um, but um, yeah, these are usually temporary. But nowadays, um, many people have um, quite chronic hormonal deficiencies or where they're at least suboptimal in one or more hormones. And I don't really think it's getting more and more common. I mean, there are chemicals or let's say um, xenoestrogens, for example, that do mm -hmm. decrease male testosterone levels. They have been decreasing for 50 to 60 years, but I don't think the decrease was that much. I think really, in my personal opinion, um, the strongest decrease in hormones um, occurred through to our average age um, being higher. So basically, um, as you age, every single cell in your body ages, which means um, the cells in your hypothalamus age, the cells in your liver age that make the binding proteins, the cells that respond to the hypothalamic signals age, so your endocrine glands, and also the target cells age, which means they can't um, respond as well to uh, the hormonal action. Um, and in the end, basically now you have aging occurring at every level. And so it's not just that your hormone levels will be lower across the board as you age, but also your um, individual cells will not be as capable um, of uh, as capable um, to respond to these signals and to these hormones. So mm -hmm. I really think the most um, common denominator of um, hormonal deficiencies becoming more and more common is um, aging. But as I said, like if you're obese and have been for a few years, or if you have been sleep deprived for a long time, um, then yeah, sir, certainly hormonal deficiencies can set in. And uh, through, uh, or thanks, or not thanks, um, due to gene methylation at the cellular level, but also um, a long-term potentiation or long-term depression in um, neural networks, um, it certainly um, also has chronic lasting effects on your endocrine system. For example, if you have a girl with anorexia nervosa and she is um, getting anorectic while she um, is 
um, adolescent, like around 14 to 18 years old, that's going to imprint her endocrine system for life. So mm -hmm. there is going to be gene modulation. Genes are going to be turned off forever. And also um, the neural networks in the brain that regulate the um, uh, individual hormones, like the pulse generators, they're also going to be altered. So um, similar things can also happen if you um, have any chronic stressor, whatever it is, whether chronic inflammation, obesity, uh, sleep deprivation, stuff like that, um, can also um, impact your endocrine system down the line. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which is a bad um, fact for everyone who lives in chronic stress environments as a teenager. True, yeah, true. All right, I would like to go a little bit um, back to the famine aspect um, regarding mm -hmm. the diet. Because mm -hmm. when I heard that, my first thought was, well, what about those people who not only do regular fasting, um, but also who might live in ketosis for longer periods of time? Meaning they subscribe to a ketogenic diet, which means they eat low I'm carb. I'm on a ketogenic diet. All right, that's 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 that's, good. that's great. Yeah. So we could we could talk about that. Um, do you see that as problematic for your hormonal status? Because that would. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Please go. So, into that. um, sorry for interrupting. Um, I really think that most some people certainly do well on a ketogenic diet for extended periods of time, but these people are usually people who have very plastic and resilient um, endocrine axes. But most people they are gonna be running into issues down the line. Like for many of them, they're, um, they're, lots of their T3, like the active thyroid hormone, is gonna be um, um, converted into a reverse T3, which is an inactive form. And also their peripheral cells are gonna be less capable to respond if they never are stimulated by insulin and glycolysis, for example. And um, I really think that fasting and also a ketogenic diet, if you don't do controlled refeeds, which most people do not, can seriously impair hormonal health down the line. And not just your thyroid levels, also your sex hormones. Um, and it's partially um, due to having very low area under the curve insulin, because insulin acts on many, many cells in the body and way many more cells than just um, the uh, muscle and the fat tissues most people talk about. It also acts at various points in the nervous system. And if your insulin levels is chronically low, as it would be with uh, ketosis and or um, a ketogenic diet, first, insulin cannot stimulate leptin, which I talked about before. And second, insulin cannot directly act at the hypothalamus. Um, and insulin does elevate pretty much all the hormonal axes, but it's neutral to um, the stress axis. But if your insulin levels are chronically low, all else being equal, your uh, thyroid axis and your sex hormone axis um, will be turned down by a bit. How large this, um, this decrease is, is genetic. Um, it depends on whether you're in a calor caloric deficit or not, um, how plastic your endocrine axis are, how long have you been doing it. So there is really no a blanket answer I can give you to that one. Mm -hmm. Which now is interesting because you said you are on a ketogenic diet. So yeah, with can, all those, yeah, could you go into that? Why you do it and how you maybe um, can uh, <laughs> mitigate those negative effects of long-term ketogenic uh, use? So 
if you will, I'm cheating because I'm ex exogenously regulating my hormones. So I don't, ha I'm not going to run into these problems. So like I can keep my T3 where I want it to be. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, I, I think a ketogenic diet then is great. But if I were not on a ketogenic diet um, in order to preserve um, endocrine health, I really think there are um, carbohydrate refeeds necessary, especially if you do endurance exercise and especially if you exercise that is going to deplete your glycogen all the time. So if you go more and more into the um, anaerobic part of exercise. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. When would you say is the kind of time limit for the average person to cycle off of ketosis and refeed? Oh, is it like six months or two uh, years? I really think it's very individual. I mean, as I said, there are people that do it uh, very well on a ketogenic diet for years and they're not running into hormonal issues. Um, others, not so much. So I really think it's very individual. And mm -hmm. some people will bounce back right away once they increase carbs again, once, they, um, uh, once their leptin increases. But there are just so many factors, like all the hormones, how much they're expressed, um, how are the receptors, there are various single nucleotide polymorphisms, how many of those neurons you have in the brain that's, for example, produce, um, let's say, ACTH, like to stimulate your adrenal glands. There's just too many factors to, to um, give answers that would hold for a large group of people. And I'm also mm -hmm. not qualified to, to answer these questions. Okay. So then let's go a little bit more into misconceptions about hormones because now maybe i'm on a ketogenic diet and i refeed um and then i suppose my hormones should stabilize and maybe they do but yeah. a lot of times people think that all they have to do in order to fix their hormonal issues is to live a healthy lifestyle basically yeah um why is that not true so i actually think this is probably one of the most common misconceptions people have about hormones so um, a question or um, uh, objection I get all the time when I p tell people what I'm doing, um, they say, well, you just got to live a normal, healthy lifestyle, got to sleep more, got to exercise less or whatever, and your hormones, they're going to regulate. Or what did you do to drive your hormones that low? Well, um, as I said, like your hormone levels depend on a shit ton of factors and and for every single hormone, you more or less, if the conditions are not too bad, um, you have a certain set point. Let's say, um, for example, a sprinter, let's take Usain Bolt or whoever, they have a certain set point for testosterone levels, while a certain other person has another set point for testosterone levels. And even if you could theoretically raise them in the exact same conditions, um, meaning they get the same food, the same sleep, and um, have basically the whole life being the same, um, their testosterone level is going to differ. And those differences are partially accounted for by genetic differences, probably the largest factor, but also for um, by um, how their intrauterine um, growth and development used to be, like what the, the mother's hormones were or... Um, other factors that interfered with um, uh, embryonic development and also early life input. So basically, um, we have the set point of hormones. And if uh, one of your set points is low, let's say your thyroid set point is low or your um, testosterone set point is low, then um, you can do whatever you want. I mean, 
you can try to race it, but it's not going to happen. You can, I don't know, for racing testosterone, you can watch porn. You can, um, I don't know, like whatever you think will raise testosterone, lift heavy weights or feel confident and um, make good stock beds. It doesn't really matter. Your hormone fat points, they're not going to change. And if one of your hormones is severely low and an issue, I'd say this is your limiting factor. So that factor, your vitality is, I, as I said before, um, your energy levels are, are um, to a large extent, I would say perhaps 50 to 70%, it's very hard to say, determined by your levels of, of your hormones. And if one of your hormones is off balance, then yeah, a lot of your physiology will be. And this is going to be your limiting factors, the weakest link that determines um, your vitality, your energy levels. And there's not much you can do other than exogenously um, increase the hormone. I don't say you have to do that. I'm just saying that um, if you find out, for example, that your testosterone is very low and, and there is no obvious real cause that, that could be or that, that caused it, then there is nothing you can do to improve it. And most people think they can. We are not equal. I mean, there are genetic differences. I mean, that is what natural selection is all about. Mm -hmm. And people don't know their baseline, right? So exactly. I, I don't even know how I could feel if I would replace my hormones. Exactly. I mean, um, I was I'm in this um, unique position basically where I felt I would say really good. I don't have a comparison, but I felt very good until I was like 20. And then gradually over like the span of a few months to a year, like my hormones dropped and I felt like utter dog shit. And after I started to replacing these hormones again, now I felt very good again. Um, so I have like this contrast, how, how different hormones do have an impact on your vitality and how you feel and how your day-to-day -day life look like, how easy your life is, how enjoyable your life is. But most people, they don't know. I mean, and for example, let's say we give you now thyroid hormone or testosterone or small dose of cortisol, growth hormone. How would you feel? And let's say your energy is greater than before, your mood is better, your cognition is better. Would you want to go back? Probably not. I'm not saying that people should try that. I'm just saying that people have um, nothing to compare their baseline to. Like for, um, let's say um, you start thyroid treatment and now your um, best mood, best energy day, um, or, or your worst mood, worst energy day is um, as bad or as good as your best mood, best energy day was before. So mm -hmm. then we now have the, um, the effects of comp compound interest again. I mean, there are certain instances where we probably do have a black and white, and contrast in comparison, let's say you get sick. Um, as you get sick and the cytokines um, um, exert their effects on various parts of your nervous system, you have like this sickness behavior. You feel lethargic and moody. You like to withdraw. Um, then it's really, it, that really happens within the span of a few days. And as the sickness passes, or the, uh, let's say you got a vaccination and you have a uh, um, the same you're now catapulted in the same state and um, as this passes you're now feeling good again and um, you can really tell it's almost night and day in, and in your face change how you feel compared mm -hmm. to how you used to feel and the same is possible with if you change a single hormone mm -hmm. yeah so when you have a really good day and you wake up and the sun is shining and you kind of have this endorphin rush 
Um, mm-hmm. Which, by the way, a lot of people experience when they first cycle off carbohydrates and enter mm-hmm. ketosis because they get an adrenaline rush for a few weeks. Yeah, true. Um, and now, especially it's cortisol. Like, um, I mean, um, your glucose levels, they need to adapt and your brain needs the glucose. And so your HBA axis is kind of turned up for a few weeks. And so your cortisol is very high. And if cortisol is high, you have boundless energy, you have no hunger, you're also very euphoric. I mean, Cortisol is the only hormone hormone that they say in, in, in endocrinology that it's a euphorian. If you give people that have an autoimmune disease high doses of cortisol, they are almost maniac. So mm. they are feeling exuberantly good and they have boundless energy. They start lots of projects. Um, I mean, it's very bad for your physiological health down the line. Um, you're going to make a trade-off with uh, performance and uh, longevity. But mm-hmm. uh, the reason you feel that good on a ketogenic diet for the first week is because your cortisol level is through the roof. Once your liver um, turns up the gly- uh, gly- um, glycogenesis, the, yeah, whatever, the glucogenesis, and um, there is no much need for higher levels of cortisol because um, your brain is partially fed by keto bodies and also by the glucose that um, is now being more and more produced by the liver. So Mm -hmm. your cortisol drops again. And for many people that that do this, like for extended periods of time, um, their HbA axis crashes, which means it has been stimulated for a few months and they felt great. And now they're feeling like shit. And the reason is because their baseline cortisol is now lower than it was before. And this is what we call burnout. Mm-hmm. So it's the exact same mechanism that happens in normal burnout people or in many of the normal burnout people that overwork themselves. Their cortisol axis has been stimulated for too long. It doesn't matter whether it's ketosis distressor or life stress or whatever. And now um, for some reason, we don't know, and the baseline of the HBA axis at various points in the brain is turned down. And they need these stressors now to maintain normal levels of cortisol, which means they're trapping themselves into a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm, right. And the only way out, as far as I know, is to stop what you're doing, exactly. go to sleep and refeed high carbohydrate yeah. meal and just yeah. chill out for a while. Exactly. And just accept that you will feel like shit for a little time. Yeah. And just hope that your HB axis um, will recover. I mean, it usually does if you're young and if your axes are quite resilient and plastic, but for many people, it really does not. And once they burn out, say they are now 40, it, they really feel like shit for years. Like they say they never had their pre-burnout energy levels back. Yeah, because you don't have your pre-burnout uh, levels of cortisol back. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely something people you have to look out for and it's a it's a it's a form of balance you know you have to balance your life and that's the same with your hormones basically um too much of a good thing uh, well will turn bad in the end now we've already scratched a little bit about uh, on the opportunity cost of not doing mm. research or checking your hormone levels because there can be things like a burnout or there can be things like you're just missing out on energy you could have so do you recommend everyone taking hormonal tests and if so what would you recommend people do i mean um the opportunity cost of not doing um a hormonal panel a full hormonal panel measuring the free target hormones at least once in your life is quite high i mean if you really have an issue, 
it is quite fixable, but because you never did that, you are missing out on so many not beneficial effects, but you're actually, um, yeah, you're, you, you're not as functional or as much enjoying your life as you could be. And, and the exact same holds for treatment. It's always like a complex calculation of trade-offs. So um, um, let's say, like, for example, like um, I put my mom on um, female sex hormones and she was predominantly or disproportionately concerned with any side effects she has. Of course, she needs to worry about side effects, but she's not asking about all the benefits. So there, you really need to like make a pro and con list of so many things. Like what is your health with the hormone, without the hormone, your lifestyle, your mental health, um, how you look, um, how all of this impacts your relationship. What is your health span with or without the hormonal treatment? Um, what is your lifespan? What is the cost of hormonal treatment? What are potential side effects? What are potential side effects of not intervening? Um, very important, what is your moment-to-moment -moment well-being? I mean, if you feel like shit all the time and have been for years, what is the opportunity cost of missing this time? And um, what mm -hmm. is the opportunity cost of your performance? And so, um, so you basically need to contrast all of these. And I'm not saying that um, you should jump into treatment. No, you should not. You should be just prudent, but you need to look at the risks and side effects of not intervening as well. I mean, um, many people, they know about um, this thought experiment. It's like the train experiment. There's a train um, coming and um, the rails split and there is one person and there are two people on the other rails. And now you are there and the train is um, going to run over the two people. Would you, as an external observer, pull the lever and basically um, cause the, the train to deviate to kill the one person? Most people say, or many people say, no, they would not because, and they don't want to play fate or whatever. But I say, no, if you have the means um, to do so and you have the time to decide, then inaction is also action. Basically decide not to act, which is an action as well. And the exact same, I, my opinion, is uh, for therapy. You also need to look at the opportunity costs and you need to look at the side effects of not intervening. Too bad that most doctors are basically just trained not to harm and they just look at what are the potential side effects of intervention. Mm -hmm. Right. And you mentioned also a very interesting thing, which is health span versus lifespan. So exactly. even if there are side effects, let's say, which can cost me a few years, maybe um, yeah. I get some form of cancer or we can talk about mm -hmm. potential side effects um, uh, now. But The health span, the amount of time I can live with energy and healthily, mm. in my estimate, is very much more valuable than the lifespan overall. Because you could also argue, well, a coma patient is also living in a way, at least he's, yeah. uh, his brain is alive. But that's not alive, right? So the health span is much more important than just living. True. Like in, in medicine, we usually um, do calculate this by um having a factor which is multiplied by the years you live and this is called um quality of life uh, quality of life adjusted years so which means let's say your quality of life is 70% and you live 40 more years your or your uh, predicted to live 40 more years then it's actually just um 0.7 times 40 so that would be um 28 years and um, let's say with growth hormone or any hormone treatments or any intervention, your, your quality of life now is 0.85 instead of 0.7, but you live just for 35 years. 
then um, of course you cannot solve these um, um, ethical conundrums with, with math, but in medicine, this is what we do. And you actually, um, your quality of life adjusted years, they're gonna be um, a larger or there are gonna be more of them uh, than the 20 of eight years of, of not intervention. And um, yeah, I, 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 I definitely agree that um, um, health span is so much more valuable. I mean, before, um, when I, I was at my worst state or, or no, when I um, started treatment and I, it really started to gain traction and I started to feel very good, I really thought, and I even wrote it down, and I meant it that I would rather live 10 more years with uh, the vital state I'm in now compared to living um, 50 or 60 more years with the crappy state I was in before. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, uh, yeah, I think quality of life is, is one thing that is very, very much neglected. So people, let's say they talk about estrogen and should you do hormone replacement therapy once you hit 50? And then doctors say, oh, no, the increase of cancer is going to be 50%. Yeah it's like three more people out of 10,000. It's a 50% increase, but in relative numbers, in absolute numbers. But um, yeah, they don't, the women, they don't think about what is my quality of life going to be? They're all freaking scared of cancer, of breast cancer, which we, we can cure comparatively well, and which is also comparatively not that much more common in women that uh, take hormone replacement therapy. But um, what they really neglect is, um, yeah, the quality of the life. I mean, um, the mind is all we have, how we feel day to day. I mean, our, our life is basically a string of uh, days um, right next to each other, a string of individual moments. And if you feel like better in each single one of them, your, um, let's call it area under the curve happiness or area under the curve well-being, like the health span uh, you mentioned before, it's going to be much higher. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, that's why we biohack, right? That's why people are interested in optimizing their mm -hmm. diets. They want to look good, of course, but they also want to feel good. And I think feeling good is the main reason why I am interested in nutrition mm -hmm. and health. Um, and also do exercise because the exercise itself, of course, puts you in a um, cortisol adrenaline rush state. <laughs> so yeah, just, uh, I love yeah. it as well. And also, of course, you feel better, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So, potential side effects. We talked a little bit about cancer. Um, why mm. is it that there are numbers uh, uh, suggesting that hormonal replacement therapy leads to an increased risk of cancer? Okay, and that's my opinion. All these numbers you can forget about. Like, they're basically shit. Um, There is a certain increase in cancer if we correlate and stratify IGF-1 levels, but it's U-shaped, like with very low IGF-1, for example, like the, the um, physiological correlate to growth hormone. Um, gonna be, there's going to be more cancer with very low levels and more cancer with very high levels. But now it's the, here's the thing. There is going to be an increase in cancer with an increased IGF-1 if you give someone growth hormone. But what is the reduction in cardiovascular disease? That's never talked about. What is the reduction in Alzheimer's disease as your IGF-1 rises? I mean, it's a growth factor. It's very important for all your neurons. And what is the difference in quality of life? I mean, yeah, we can contrast the increase in cancer, which is most people talk about, with all the other benefits. Um, and I think then it's a no-brainer. And the exact same thing holds for uh, hormone replacement therapy with, like, say, let's say, testosterone and um, um, males in andropause, 
there, there is even not an, an increase in prostate cancer, but um, there is an increase in breast cancer and uterine cancer in women. The increase is tiny and in absolute numbers. And it's also, um, it's really a no-brainer decision if you contrast the tiny increase in the absolute number of cancers to the benefits these women get, whether it's less depression, whether it's more quality of life, less Alzheimer's disease, um, better cardiovascular health, less stroke and um, heart attacks. And usually those um, things are not talked about. Mm -hmm. Right, which brings us to the next issue, mainstream medicine. Is mainstream medicine at fault here? Um, so I wouldn't say it's at fault. There are many factors here. As I said, like we as doctors, we are trained uh, first and foremost not to harm, which is good. I mean, um, as I said, it's always a complex calculation of trade-offs. But um, if I as a doctor really think the therapy, um, whatever it is, is good for my patient, but um, it does have side effects, or even it does have uh, severe side effects at a very low incident rate, then the problem is that I could lose my license. And if I have like thousands of these patients um, over the span of my life, it's a, it's a numbers game. And there is gonna be sooner or later someone that, yeah, perhaps gets screwed up. And, and this is why doctors are usually very, very cautious. And they, um, if they're in doubt, they err on the side of not treating. I'm not saying this is wrong or this is right. It's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, and it has to be with that kind of regulations we have at the moment. Exactly. Yet, they seem, there seems to be um, a sort of, well, next level healthcare. Um, which is already focusing on enhancing your experience and your physical body rather than mm. waiting until you break down and then repairing your issues. So it seems to be that there's a split between enhancement and repair-focused medicine. Um, exactly. So the thing is, um, there, are, uh, there is normal mainstream medicine in most Western countries, I'm now talking just about Western systems, we all have access to it. And um, it's always a trade-off between cost, access and quality. And, and then we have the private sector in medicine, which um, are basically doctors you go to and you pay them and the government does not pay for them. And the rich and powerful, they usually go to these doctors and these doctors um, are, many of them are all about prevention and they're focused on as you said, on enhancement rather than just repairing. They are, I mean, we don't have a normally a system of healthcare. We just have a system of like more or less sick care where um, once uh, we get sick and ha are afflicted by disease, we start to interact with uh, the healthcare system, but not before. And this um, new kind of like personalized medicine, um, it's all about prevention and functionality and making, optimizing people, if you will. And I think that's great. And this is going to be the future. And, but it also entails problems like um, um, people that, I mean, ever since biological inequality, um, as we talked about it before, uh, through uh, many compound interests, um, was a big factor in um, causing a wealth discrepancy. 
meaning people that were more uh, had greater energy, were more vital, more confident, looked better. They basically did better in life. They accumulated more wealth. And yeah, that was the biological factors partially causing it. Now, though, it is that people that are wealthy, they can go to um, this uh, medicine focused on enhancement rather than repairing. And the issue with that is that now the wealth um, discrepancy leads to a biological discrepancy and which um, with many feedback factors down the line and um, compound interest applies again and which makes these people more wealthy again. And so we're really, um, you could say that we are living on a split of um, a two-tier society where there is the biological enhanced people that are um, getting more intellectually, socially, financially, um, whatever, wealthy. And we have the people that, yeah, they're, they're not um, optimized. And um, that is going to be a problem. And the rich and powerful, they have been doing that for many years, but now it's getting more and more common. Um, I mean, I, for my own life, I want to be, um, I want to be as functional as possible, but I really can see that people that uh, don't have either the knowledge or the access to these kinds of therapies, they're going to be left behind. Because you just can't compete with someone who has super physiological energy all the time, who feels great, who never has like bad mood days, who doesn't get sick as much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. before these differences were genetic and innate, but now they are also partially engineered by this new kind of um, healthcare system. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's the Matthew principle. It's um, to those who have everything, more will be given. And to those who have nothing, uh, everything will be taken away from. It's kind of um, also economic theory when you let 100 people play um, a 50-50 chance game for their $1 bill. Mm. Um, you will end up with a distribution curve in which the 1% or whatever percentage it is have the majority of the money. And just sure. uh, seems to be a natural law that that happens. Now, I would like to ask you, can you counter your hormonal efficiencies just with willpower? So even if I feel shit, you know, I just do it. Does you certainly can, but um, now we have to, um, I mean, to be very honest, uh, when I felt like shit, um, I still had lots of willpower and I just pushed myself to do things. I took coach hours and I'm just innately a very restless and um, driven guy, if you will. But um, what if my hormonal deficiencies would have been present from very early on? I never would have, likely, I never would have um, even fostered these qualities of, of discipline, of um, intrinsic motivation. And so let's say your state, um, you're used to uh, be, being um, very self-disciplined and driven. And then now you have two months where you feel like crap. Of course, you can bridge these two months. But um, um, if your crap energy was crap all the time or your life, you would never even be in the first place in a position where you could say, and now I'm, con con I'm countering my, um, uh, my state of A vitality with willpower. And the exact same is, let's say my state of feeling like crap continued for years. I probably would have resignated. I would just given up because, I mean, you can just go for so long mm -hmm. before you just break and you just don't want to do things anymore. Yeah, that's very, that's very much true. Um, so when I, when I hear that, um, I'm thinking about that your development as an adolescent or even as a kid growing up, mm. there has to be, uh, quite, um, 
yeah, important notion about how to really grow your child hormonally healthy? I mean, yeah, I, I really think that uh, children and adolescents are usually very resilient. So there is not that much you can screw up as a parent. I mean, if they are obese and they're living the crappiest lifestyle ever, of course. Um, but even if they are being exposed to lots and lots of chemicals, it's just going to be a, a slight change in equilibrium. I don't think that ex um, external conditions, unless they're extreme, they, can, they cannot really counter um, the set points and the effect of genetics. Of course, there might be a slight variation, a slight increase or decrease. But overall, I don't really think that, um, yeah, I think we human beings or we mammals in general, we, we have been exposed ever since to um, more or less um, unstable conditions. And we're also right. physiologically adapted to, um, to deal with them. Yeah, yeah. But should I, when I, have a, when I have my first son, yeah, should I get him a girlfriend when he's 14 to foster his development? <laughs> I mean... Uh, from a hormonal sense, standpoint just... yeah i don't i don't know i don't think it does make much of a difference because the puberty program your hypothalamus starts is genetically determined and so it's just so much more powerful but i mean yeah you you might as well why not right yeah so yeah i mean of course all the lifestyle factors they don't harm uh, of course um and what Then if I grow older, okay, let's say um, my kid is handled, he's, he's well. Um, mm. Now I'm in my 30s. Uh, I'm going to be in my 40s, 50s. Um, when should I look at hormonal replacement? Um, I think it re it's really an individual decision and it depends on uh, how risk averse you are how resilient you are genetically or hormonally but hormones they start to drop by the end of your 20s then there is a noticeable drop i mean people when they're 20 to 25 they have lots of dreams they have zest for life um they're motivated to do stuff but um as they get older yeah many of these dreams and um former endeavors they just fade um People, of course, they also fall into Groundhog Day routines. But one um, reason why uh, youth is so energetic and they want to do stuff is partially because, or largely actually, because their um, endocrine system is speaking at that time. I mean, it does make sense. Let's say you are 18-year-old vertebrate and you're not, you're somewhere in the woods and um, you are sexually mature and it's just your program and growth hormone is very high testosterone thyroid cortisol go out in the world and have lots of sex father lots of children conquer the world that's what you're supposed to do biologically and these things also of course manifest um in how people approach life at different points um in their life and i'm not saying that everyone should be as energetic and um, as risk-taking as the youth are, we certainly also need the prudence of older people. But in terms of um, health and your own personal well-being, well, I'd really start thinking about um, at least looking at my hormones once I hit 30 or 35. And mm -hmm. I'll probably also replace them with small physiological doses if they fall. I mean, if you use small doses, then it is more 
uh, supplement and not really a replacement because your endocrine axis, they are not uh, suppressed that much if you um, supplement it with a little exogenous hormone. Yeah. And also, yeah, yeah one issue um, I, I, um, that never gets talked about. Um, now, of course, people might say, um, yeah, then you're cheating because you are now 35 and you can give yourself the energy that you had when you were 25. And um, all the other ones that are competing against you, you're just cheating because it's unfair. But I say, yeah, the world is not about you. And what are gonna, what is your effects on others because of your increased energy, mood, motivation? How much are others better off of it for it? And how do they benefit? And this is what is normally neglect, neglected. Of course, if you're evil, your um, capacity to do damage is multiplied. But most people are not evil. I mean, we're. I, I believe personally, we are good in our course. And if you um, um, have more energy and more motivation and better mood and greater health, your um, capacity to contribute to uh, humanity, to um, to foster our, our amazing state of collective learning, of progress, um, it's just multiplied. And it's not just you that is better off, it's also others. So it's like a win-win. And yeah, exactly. um, yeah. Yeah. Healthier people make healthier decisions, are more kind to each other. Um, it's really on uh, average yeah. i'd say yeah 100% i mean because it's easier and also your state determines your consciousness your mind if you are if you have yeah. enough sleep if you have good food it's way easier to be a kind person it's way easier to um yeah just be someone who is a stable stick in society and it's it becomes harder for people and i think that's why we also cherish um, people who came from nothing and had to like fight their way up because it is very difficult certainly um, certainly it is all right moritz um i would like to conclude this uh, two-part series with um first of all asking you if there's anything i have missed out on asking you if there's anything you would like to mention when it comes to hormonal health which we hadn't had the time to talk about I mean, we could talk about it for hours, but probably as time is limited resource, nobody has the time to listen to that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I, I can't yeah. think of any at the top of my head. Okay. The wood, which is good, I hope. Um, so we covered a lot. Um, oh, yeah. I have one last question because one listener asked me to ask you if, and you don't have to answer that, um, if you had a head injury, a concussion when you were younger, and if that could be the cause of your pituitary issues? Actually, I, I, I got asked this question quite a bit. Um, I mean, everyone had a concussion at one point in their life. So whether that was causal with me, I don't think so. Could be. I don't think there is a um, temporal um, coincidence between an obvious um, head trauma and not. I really think that um, I have very low set points in my hormones. Because I um, have indicators, at least, that um, some very close loved ones, they are also going into that direction. Um, and so it's just, for me, reasonable to believe that um, I might just be at the very tail end of this normal distribution. But whether mm -hmm. there were additional factors driving down those hormones, I really don't know. And I actually, frankly, don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, your point, I think everyone had a concussion. Yeah, <laughs> kind of makes sense. Uh, 
Um, yeah, but uh, just want to include that one. And yeah, with that, um, people can find you on Medium at Things Various, where you regularly post blog posts about your hormonal health. You give further instructions. Um, you talk a lot more about that stuff in detail for people who are interested. They can also check out what you are supplementing with at the moment. Um, so really check that out. Things Various on Medium. And with that, that's the conclusion for the two-part series about hormonal health. And if you liked that kind of content, feel free to check out highenergynutrition.com where it's all about holistic health and metabolic health. And we also have a YouTube channel which is called High Energy Nutrition and an Instagram page which is also called High Energy Nutrition. And these are all for you with tons of free content to improve your metabolic health.